You're listening to a sermon by Hope Bible Church Niagara. We believe in unapologetic preaching, unashamed adoration of Jesus, unceasing prayer, unafraid witness, and uncommon community. If you have yet to do so, we would love to have you join us for worship in God's Word on Sunday mornings. For more information, visit us online at hopeniagara.ca. Thanks for listening. Well, happy Easter, loved ones. Uh, If I could add again, like we began today, can we just do this again? He is risen. Oh, that sounds so good. Amen. What a great affirmation of truth that is. Very special welcome to those of you who are guests with us today. Maybe you're visiting for the first time or the first time in a long time. My name is Ross Kearney, and I have the great privilege of serving as senior pastor here at Hope Bible Church, Niagara. It's a a very special day, Uh, Easter Sunday. I tell tell our church all the time that uh, Easter is the Super Bowl of the Christian faith, right? Christmas is the Great Cup. And uh, Easter is the Super Bowl. It's the biggest day of the year to be sure because uh, this, this is what happened in that first Easter is the basis of our hope. And we're going to reflect on that today as I share with you the good news about the resurrection of Jesus. Well, she's arguably the top female singer in the Christian music industry. Her, when her album, Look Up Child, was released in 2018, it sold more than 115,000 copies in the first week. Um, that's more than anyone else had done in almost a decade. Uh, she, she enjoyed the largest sales uh, week, the largest single sales week of any Christian album in the digital era. Uh, she's won seven GMA Dove Awards, five Billboard Music Awards, and two Grammys. Her name is, anybody know? Lauren Daigle, Lauren Daigle. While she's a favorite amongst many Christians, her talents have also caught the attention of secular audiences as well. Rolling Stone magazine compared her vocal talent to the late Adele, or to Adele, sorry, and the late Amy, sorry. (laughs) To Adele. (laughs) If I was personal friends with Adele, I'd be like, sorry, girl, sorry. (laughs) To the very alive Adele and the late Amy Winehouse. Um, Lauren Daigle appeared, she appeared on Ellen, Ellen DeGeneres, where she still had her show going, The Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon and also Jimmy Kimmel. In all these appearances, uh, it just, she just turned a lot of heads with how girl can sing. And what an amazing voice, a talented voice that she has. But if you know her music or you've listened to her music, maybe you listened to some of it even today like I did on my way to church, um, you know that the message of her songs are distinctly Christian. She's got a distinctly Christian message. In fact, one of her best-known songs is one that you maybe have listened to this Easter weekend. It's called Still Rolling Stones. And uh, it's not an ode to Mick Jagger. It's an ode to Jesus, the original stone roller. Here's some of the words. Six feet under, I thought it was over. An answer to prayer. The voice of a Savior. Rise up. Rise up. All at once I came alive. This beating heart, these open eyes. The grave let go. The darkness should have known. You're still rolling stones. Of course, Daigle reminds us that just as the stone of Jesus' tomb was rolled away that first Easter Sunday, God is still in the stone rolling business. That is, calling the dead to life. And what happened that first Easter Sunday 2,000 years ago 
is not just an amazing story of victory, but it has it is a true story that has immense relevance to your life. Tremendous significance. And this is precisely the message I want to share with you today. The relevance of that story to you, and in particular, the reality of the hope that is ours, at least it's for anyone who will trust in that risen Jesus. It's a message of hope that is for you. Like, not the person sitting next to you, although it's for them too, but I want you to hear it personally, like it's for you, the person sitting in your seat right now. It's a message of hope that is for you, the resurrection of Jesus. And I want us to read together about it, the account that Luke gives us in his gospel, the book of Luke, chapter 24. And if you've got a Bible with you, I invite you to turn there, please, to Luke 24. If you don't have a Bible with you, if you just look, the, the seat's in front of you, just look just under the seat, that here and there and down your row, there's Bibles there. There should be Bibles there. I'd encourage you to just reach out and grab hold of one and turn to page 831. And I'll also say, too, that if you don't have a Bible of your own, or you're like, I swear I have one, but I haven't seen it in a long time, I would love for you, in all seriousness, I would love for you to take that Bible home with you. Seriously. Okay, you're like, won't you need it next Sunday? That's that person's problem. Don't worry about it. I'd love for you to just have, take that Bible with you. You can use it today and take it with you. We're on page 831 in that Pew Bible, uh, Luke chapter 24, and beginning at verse 1. Now, we're, we've been in a series here at Hope Niagara these last several weeks called Encountering Jesus. Encountering Jesus in the final days of his earthly life. And really what we've been doing is it's been a study of what we call Holy Week, or that, that last week in the life of Jesus leading up to the cross, that, that first Good Friday, his crucifixion. And so we started by looking at some of what happened on the Sunday at the beginning of that week, and Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. On Good Friday, we studied together some of what took place on that first Good Friday. And we saw that indeed that Jesus was crucified. And we, we saw that not only was he crucified, but there was a great, uh, God had a great design in that crucifixion that Jesus died to save us, to save us from sin. We're reminded that the reality is, and it's the reality, that the Bible says that everyone has sinned. And if you're not sure about that, we often say around here, just ask people close to you, and they'll confirm for you, yeah, you, you are a sinner. You may be not as good as you feel you are, maybe not as good as you like to think you are, but the reality is, is that all have sinned, and that sin is a problem because it keeps us from a holy God. It separates us from him. But the good news about Good Friday that we saw on Friday is that Jesus came into the world to deal with that problem. And the reason he was crucified was to take the penalty of our sin upon himself. So that even though we're far from God because of our sin, he brings us to God through his death on the cross. But it's so significant to understand that not only did Jesus die, he died for our sins, but also so important to understand that while he lay dead on Saturday, on Sunday morning, he arose from the dead. And what we're going to read right now is the account of these early believers, the first believers really to begin to realize that this is indeed what had happened. Let's read it together, shall we? Luke chapter 24, beginning at verse 1. It says, but on the first day of the week, so that's Sunday, that's today, Easter Sunday, happy Easter. On the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices that they had prepared, and they found the stone 
rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. Verse 4, Luke 24, verse 4. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel, and they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground. Now, the men in dazzling apparel, apparel who, who, are, who are these men in dazzling apparel? Anybody know? Anybody been to church? Grew up in church? Who are the men in dazzling apparel? They're angels. They're angels. That's, that's why they're frightened. Like, you'd be frightened too. Like, they're dazzling apparel wasn't this salmon shirt that I'm wearing. As dazzling it is, it is. And I've seen several salmon shirts today there. Justin's got one on. You look good, man. Yeah, salmon is the new Easter. Well, they were, it wasn't dazzling Eddie Bauer shirts they were wearing. They were dazzling because they were, there was something different about them. They were angels. And uh, you'd be frightened too, right? You would have a movement of sorts, I think, if you saw angels all of a sudden. Just saying, you know what's true? And look what happens. Says frightened, they were frightened and they bowed their faces to the ground. The men said, we're in the middle of verse 5 here, the men said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. How many of you are old enough to remember Elvis Presley? Like, not that you know about him, but you're old enough to remember, like you're around when Elvis Presley was doing his thing. Hands up nice and high. Don't be ashamed. It's great. He was like, all right, there you go. There you go. There's no ageism here. When, when Elvis was on tour, at the end of the concert, there'd be an announcement come over the speaker. What was the announcement? Anybody remember? Elvis has left the building. And they would do that so the crowds that are waiting for maybe another encore will know, okay, like, he ain't here. Okay, he's not risen, but he's gone. So you all go home now. That's, that's the message. Well, this is sort of like this, only way better. The angel says, he is not here, but has risen. And then notice what he says. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise? The angel's like, remember? Remember, he told you this would all happen. In verse 8, it says, and they remembered his words. Yes, he did say that. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now, the 11, those were Jesus' closest disciples. So you've heard the names like, like Peter and John and James. Like, like these, these 11, there were these, these closest followers, his closest disciples who would be called apostles. So these people, these first witnesses, told all these things to the 11 and all the rest. So the other followers of Jesus who were there. Now it was, now we're going to find out, who are these people that we've been reading about? He went to the tomb. Luke tells us, verse 10, now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. That's the 11. But these words, notice their response. These words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. Just remember that. Tuck that way in your mind. We're going to come back to that in a few minutes. Verse 12, but Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in, he saw the linen cloths by themselves. The linen cloths are what Jesus' body was wrapped in the linen cloths. And remember at the beginning of where we read, the women were going with spices with them. They were going to anoint the body. They were going to do some extra burial rites with the body. And uh, they went expecting to find Jesus dead and buried, but of course, you, you know, that's not what they found. 
And so Peter, when he shows up, he sees the linen cloths that had wrapped Jesus' body are there lying by themselves in the middle of verse 12. And he went home marveling at what had happened. Now just go down to verse 36 and we'll just finish out the narrative. In between here, Jesus, we're given a story about how Jesus had appeared to two of his followers. And after a while, they realized it, realized this is, he's risen. He's here. And now they've reported that back to the others. And we're picking up now in verse 36. As they were talking about these things, notice Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace to you. Now, why do you think he said peace to you? Well, they're probably afraid. Like, think of somebody in your life who you have loved, who died. And imagine, all of a sudden, you're getting ready to have Easter Sunday lunch, and you turn around, they're standing there in your kitchen. Like, like what, what would you do? You'd be discombobulated. You, you know, you'd, ha- you'd certainly have a moment, wouldn't you? You'd be stunned. Well, that's where they are. They're rattled. They're sh- they, he's here. Verse 27, but they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. Interesting, right? It's like they just, just did not expect to see Jesus risen. But his message is peace to you. So, I mean, they're afraid, peace to you. But think about, too, what he's saying to them. Here he is, the risen Savior, standing there in the flesh saying, peace to you. Just let that land on you. The resurrection himself, peace to you. Well, they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. Of course they did. You would too. Verse 38. And he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your heart? Well, the answer here is obvious, isn't it? Because dead people don't rise. But he goes on, verse 39. See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy, they were marveling, and he said to them, I love this, have you anything to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate before them. I love that, right? It's like, I can see you're having troubles here. Let me show you something. Anybody got a sandwich? Eat that, right? Ghosts don't eat sandwich. You can see, I'm here. Look, it's gone. Where did it go? Where's the fish now? I'm here. They're touching him, feeling him. He just ate in front of them. Verse 44. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. So all the Old Testament. Everything said about me in the first part of the Bible, it's all got to happen. Then he opened their minds to understand the Scriptures. Lord, do that today. And he said to them, Thus it is written, that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. And that's what happened, right? That's what he's telling them. And now that that has happened, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations. And that's what's happening right now. Loved ones, this is a great story because it's a true story. It's a true story. This is what happened on that first Easter Sunday. The women went to the tomb expecting to mourn over their dead, beloved friend and teacher. But when they got there, they found that the tomb was empty. Peter also went to the tomb and looked in and saw the same thing. And before long, these early followers began to understand why the tomb was empty. 
And that is because Jesus truly, actually, physically arose from the dead. That is what happened. The empty tomb is a powerful declaration that something great, something significant has happened. And I want to reflect with you on what that is. What is so significant about the empty tomb? In fact, I've put it this way. I've called my message today, Lessons from an Empty Tomb. And I want to highlight for you four lessons that we learn that are relevant for us, significant for us today, that we learn from the empty tomb. Number one, the empty tomb teaches us that the resurrection really happened. The empty tomb shows us this. It's a lesson the empty tomb teaches us that the resurrection really happened. It's important to recognize and understand that everybody in those days agreed with the fact that the tomb was empty. Even Jesus' greatest opponents acknowledged that the tomb was empty. The people who put him to death, the, the Roman soldiers, they all acknowledged that the tomb was empty. The question is, how do you explain that empty tomb? Well, there's been many theories, many alternative theories, of course, because, because people wrestle with the fact, the reality, that people just don't rise from the dead. So if we rule out resurrection, we've got to explain here why, why this empty tomb story. Well, some have said, some would say that the empty tomb is an invention, or it's a, it's a conspiracy. It was invented by those early disciples, those apostles, who they came up with this, this conspiracy, this story, where they're like, we're going we're gonna to say that Jesus rose from the dead. And the theory is, is that they, they broke in and stole the body and took it and moved it somewhere else and didn't tell anybody where it was and started this whole resurrection story. Now, there's a lot of problems with that. There are a lot of reasons why that, ex, that alternative explanation doesn't work. One of the more compelling reasons I think it doesn't work is when you consider what happened to those early apostles because they preached that message. This message about the death and resurrection of Jesus cost those early apostles their lives in horrific and painful and shameful ways. Many of them were executed brutally because of their faith in Jesus and this message that he not only died, but he arose from the dead. Do you suppose that they would all be willing to die for something that they knew wasn't true? You say, well, Ross, but people die for things that they believe all the time. They may or may not be true. I agree with you. But in this case, if it really was a conspiracy or an invention, these men all would have known it wasn't true. And you think, well, maybe, maybe one, maybe one would endure being burned at the stake or sawn in two. Maybe. But all 11 of them? And what about the others as well who suffered similar fates? Now, when you look at, at history, and you look at the realities of what has happened in the past and what happened to these early disciples, the notion that they invented this, that this was their story and they stuck to it, it just doesn't work. It doesn't add up. The other thing, too, is if it was an invention, then the only things the opponents of Christianity have ever had to do is just produce the body. And there were plenty of people in those days who would have had great motivation to go and produce the body. Look, here it is. But that never happened. Some say the tomb was an invention, but that doesn't work. It doesn't work when you consider the history and the reality. Some say that the empty tomb was a mistake. 
a mistake. Like, like they were just, they were looking in the wrong tomb. And I could see how, how you could, you know, as you kind of rationalize and think this through, like what's a possible explanation, I could see how you come up with that. But the thing is, is that doesn't work either. Because everybody knew where the tomb was. Everybody did. The women were going to the tomb. Peter went himself when he heard the story. He didn't believe the story. He went to see for himself where the tomb was. And of course, everybody else knew the story. Remember, the religious leaders would have great reason. Like, no, 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 that's not, the tomb's right here. Look, see, he's dead. Go home and put it away. And certainly, the Roman soldiers would not have, uh, and, and their, their apparent dereliction of duty, the other gospel writers tell us that they, uh, they dealt with the resurrection of Jesus in a terrified way that they were not able to stop and and certainly they wouldn't have been part of it either. It just, it just doesn't work. It doesn't work. You may have other explanations, but the, the empty tomb being a mistake doesn't work. Another alternative explanation is that some would say that the empty tomb is a myth. I would say that probably this is what most Canadians think when they think about, we hear about the resurrection of Jesus, but they don't believe the resurrection of Jesus. Most Canadians would probably hold to this view that the resurrection is a myth. And that it, that it would go something like this, that probably what happened is this Jesus, he died and was crucified, which is a historical fact, and, and, and they, they buried him. And then probably what happened, that the idea would go, is that, is that these followers, they loved him so much, they admired him so much, they were so heartbroken, so grief-stricken, that surely they were consoling one another and reminding each other about him and the, the things that he said. And as they reminisced about his teachings and his great works and the great man that he was, it's like they started to say to each other, you know, it's, it's almost like in a sense he's... He's still with us. You know, it's almost like he's, he, he's, it's almost like he's never left us. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's like, yeah, he's died, but it's, it's kind of like he's back. Like, and so he's alive in our minds. And this sort of ballooned up over time into a story about resurrection. That is, I think, what most Canadians would think about this resurrection account. And maybe it's what you think. And I can understand that. But the problem, there's a lot of problems with this. And one of the problems is that the notion that the empty tomb is a myth assumes that in the ancient world they would have believed in such a thing as resurrection. But they didn't. Nobody believed in resurrection in those days. Some Jews believed in the idea of resurrection at the end of history. The Pharisees did. The Sadducees, though, they didn't. They dismissed it altogether. Greeks, Greeks believed in the Greek world that once you're dead, they believe like a lot of your friends believe. Once you're dead, you're dead. That's it. It's over. And by the way, why would you want a resurrection? This body is a big problem. That's what lots of people think now. They thought that then too. They just didn't believe in resurrection. In fact, we see this here in our text, don't we? The women, when they were going, when we, we meet these women on the way to their tomb, what are they expecting to find? They're expecting to find a dead Jesus. When they come and tell them, he's not in there, he's alive, the apostle, these are the apostles they didn't believe them. And Peter went to the tomb to see for himself. It was nonsense. Why? Because just like you, in the ancient world, we all know dead people don't rise from the dead. I was recently, I was visited my father's grave in Peterborough, and he died a few years ago, and sometimes when I'm back in my hometown, I go to his grave, and, and uh, just, well, I just go to his grave. Now imagine if I had gone there recently and came back to church and came in and said, everybody, I want you to know something. My dad has risen from the dead. You would look, you know this is true. 
you would look at me with great pity. And some of you, in your soul, loving and tender heart, you'd probably come alongside me and say, brother, I think, I think maybe it's time you took a bit of time off, don't you think, maybe? And, you know, you've been, been through a lot, I know it's hard, but, you know, he'll rise again maybe someday, right? You'd, well, maybe say so. he will rise again someday. And, but you wouldn't believe me. Like, you would, honestly, you know it's true. You'd think, pastor not doing good. It's the same in the ancient world. So think about it. This is why this whole myth thing doesn't work. In fact, the same thing, reason why the invention thing doesn't work either. Because <laughs> imagine they're inventing a story about resurrection. Why would anybody believe that story? In fact, the only reason why these ancient people would believe in a risen Jesus and die for a risen Jesus, the only explanation that makes sense to me is that there actually was a risen Jesus. It doesn't make sense otherwise. It wasn't an invention wasn't a mistake, wasn't a myth. The empty tomb, I believe, testifies to the reality of resurrection. In fact, the more that I analyze the history and the data, and the more that you dig into it, you will see that the historical evidence points to the fact that Jesus really did rise from the dead. I know why we're skeptical about it, because again, we know that dead people don't rise. But the vast majority of dead people you know about aren't Jesus. And when you enter into the equation, a God for whom there is nothing impossible, all of a sudden you see that the history and the facts combined with the greatness of God makes it the most plausible explanation for the empty tomb. I want you to know something. I firmly believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I firmly believe in that. And I, and I know some of you will be skeptical, and I get it. I totally get it. And you think, well, Pastor, like, I mean, like, this is kind of what you do for a living, right? You kind of need this to be true, don't you? Look, I'm going to die too. I'm going to die too. I don't have anything else. I need some, I, I need, and I would need to know truth. I don't want to just go through life thinking stuff or telling myself stuff. I got to know it's true. And there isn't anybody here, any member of Hope Bible Church Niagara that wants you to believe something that isn't true. But nor do we want you to dismiss something that is true. And I think the empty tomb has a message for you, has a lesson for you. The reality of the resurrection. We've been wondering at this this weekend too, the, the, the historical reality that God has acted, has worked. We were saying on Friday, remember that if you were here that... When you think about most religions in the world, salvation, whatever salvation entails in that worldview, it's almost invariably based on a person acting and doing, performing. There's some teachings that are given and I got to follow them. And I follow those teachings and I find salvation, however that's conceived. Most religions of the world, salvation is found by you doing. But Christianity is the total opposite, the total inverse. Salvation in the Christian message is not found by you doing, it's achieved by Jesus doing, and the empty tomb testifies that Jesus did. So it's done for you. The empty tomb teaches us the reality of the resurrection. Second, the empty tomb teaches us that Jesus is true to his word. He's true to his word. I love how the angel said in verse six, he is not here, he is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee. So remember, he told you this had happened. 
that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. Remember, remember he told you that. He did exactly what he said he would do against all odds. Pretty impressive that he predicted precisely how he would die. That's pretty impressive. But I'll tell you what's even more impressive. Predicting resurrection. Oh, that's a bold move. You predict your own resurrection. That's a bold move. But Jesus did it. And he pulled it off. And what I want you to see here is that you, can, you have a Savior who, says, who, who, who pins his credibility on his own resurrection. He dies and then does it. And the invitation to us is to trust him. Because you can take him at his word. Let's just, let's just be honest. There's people in your life you can't trust, can you? You can't trust. In fact, there's some people, don't make eye contact, don't nudge them, just look straight ahead. There's some people, you know they're lying because their lips are moving. Right? You got everybody here, everybody here got somebody like that in your life. You're like, well, grain of salt. Of course, there's some people in your life who are trustworthy, and you can depend on them, but you know and they know that as trustworthy as they may be, they still are going to, at different times and different ways, let you down. Because while they may be people of their word, there's still the reality that we're weak, and we make commitments sometimes that we can't, we can't keep. You know, I'll, I'll be there to pick you up, and then I go out and my car's broken down. Or I'll, I'll be there, I'll be at your birthday party, and then all of a sudden knocked out with the flu. You know, last, last Easter was supposed to be my first Easter Sunday as pastor in our church. And I, I wasn't here because I was totally stoned. Now, some of you are just like, what? Yeah, in two senses. In two senses. First of all, I was in complete agony because I had a kidney stone doing its thing in my body. And let me tell you, it was a world of misery. And then the second reason, way, uh, meaning behind being stoned is that I was in the hospital all night and they gave me some medicine so that by the time Leanne was driving me home in the morning, I have to say, like, I, I was stoned. <laughs> and the conclusion was made that we should not have you preaching in this condition. <laughs> you never know what might be said. It broke my heart to not be here. First Easter, Easter, it's the Super Bowl. And I was, a, I was a home in bed. Reality is, is that even the most faithful, able people in your life are going to let you down. But Jesus isn't like that. He's true to his word, and he's got the ability to do what he says, even against all odds. And the empty tomb shows us that. Look at what he says again and again in Scripture. Look at these verses here. I'm going to put these up on the screen. The Son of Man is before his death. The Son of Man must suffer many things. The Son of Man is Jesus, talking about himself. Must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and the scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. He said it would happen. Let's look at another one here. Luke 18. Everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished, for he will be delivered over to the Gentiles and will be mocked and shamefully treated and spat upon. That's exactly what happened. And after flogging him, they will kill him. And on the third day... On the third day, he will rise. How about John 2? He was questioned about his authority. What gives you the right to, te the right to teach the things that you're teaching, to do the things that you're doing? They said, what sign will you show us for, these, for doing these things? And Jesus answered them, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. 
The Jews then said, it's taken us 46 years to build this temple, and you raised it up in three days. But he was speaking about the temple of his body. Destroy this temple. In three days, I will raise up. When, therefore, he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the Scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. You see, they found, they realized, they came to understand that you can take Jesus at his word. And I want you to hear this too. You can also. You can trust him. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He says, I'm the way. He says, I'm the only way to God. And a person may say, I've got my own way, but here's the thing. When you see a man who says, I'm the way, and then he dies and raises up from the dead, comes back from the dead and says, I am the way, all of a sudden we kind of start listening a little sharper. Okay, maybe, maybe you got something to say, oh grave defeater. He says, I am the truth. He's the truth about God. In him you find the meaning of life. He tells you all about death and what that's all about, the afterlife, because he's been there and he knows. He's the truth about what's the most important in this world. He's the truth about you. He is the difference maker. He's the decider, the discerner between truth and falsehood. And when you see this man who's been killed and now raised from the dead, predicting that would happen, actually doing it, you see, I can trust him. So he says, I'm the way, I'm the truth. You can take him at his word. He says, I'm the life. Real life is found in him. Eternal life is found in him. He gives to us a life where in your past can be forgiven. You're given a purpose in living and a home in heaven. Jesus says, it's found in me and me alone. And when you encounter this man who says these things, dies and says he will rise from the dead, does it actually, you can see he's a man that you can take at your word. I want you to trust Jesus because he's worthy of your trust. Number three. The empty tomb not only teaches us the reality of the resurrection, that Jesus is true to his word, but number three, the empty tomb teaches us that joy comes in the morning. Joy comes in the morning. I love verse 41. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, have you anything to eat? I love that word, that word joy. Like, have you ever been, ever been so surprised by joy, like, like a, a great circumstance has come your way, a great happening, and you're like, you're, like, you're like pinching yourself, like, I can't believe this is real. I can't believe this is happening. I still remember when I was a kid in 1992 when the Toronto Blue Jays won the World Series. And I've been a lifelong Toronto sports fan, and I still remember at that time when the Blue Jays won the World Series, I was in such disbelief. Because even at the age of young age I was at, I just knew that my teams don't win. None of them. I cheer for losers. And they, and they never let me down in that sense. And I can still remember thinking to myself, I can't, I can't believe that a team I cheer for just won the championship. I can't believe that. Well, how much more so would it be a marvel to see the risen Jesus and all that's going through their minds. They're just, they're just so overwhelmed. It's almost like pinching themselves. Like, is this even real? Yeah, it is real. But think about what kind of a weekend they'd had before they realized that it was true. Friday, they see their beloved teacher, the one they had trusted as their savior, brutally murdered. And then all day Saturday, he's dead in the grave. What, probably that Saturday was the worst day in their lives. Horrific to see him treated like that. But then on Saturday, it all begins to set in. He's dead. He's dead. 
to realize that he's not dead anymore. Weeping, the Bible says, Psalm 30, verse 5, weeping may endure for the night, but joy comes in the morning. We see that in the empty tomb. Friends, it's true that, I mean, we are wired for happy endings. We're wired. Within all of us is a sense that there ought to be, there needs to be a happy ending. I remember a number of years ago watching this movie. I can't remember what it was called. It was a terrible movie. Terrible. And I remember watching this movie. It was in the days when you had blockbusters. Remember? So I had to actually physically go and get the thing, pay the money for it, bring it back. It probably wasn't even rewound, so I had to rewind it in the old VCR. Remember that? Be kind, rewind. And then endure this an hour and 45 minutes of this terrible, terrible movie with this, this sketchy plot line. And then I get to the end, and the bottom line at the end of the movie is there was no happy ending. It was one of those movies where there's not many of them where it's just like you think it's going to work out, and all of a sudden it just doesn't. It's just this, this calamity. It's like, it's like a Shakespearean tragedy. It's all over. And I remember shutting this off like, what is that? I, I want my money back. I can't even get back the trip to Blockbuster to get this thing. Just feel like it's so, it's supposed to be a happy ending. I think that's hardwired in us. I think, I think that God puts that in us. There is a sense that there ought to be a happy ending because in him, he has so made it that if we trust him, there are, there is a happy ending. But you need to understand that apart from him, there isn't. The Bible says, weeping may endure for the night, but joy comes in the morning. That's talking to the person who trusts God. I just wonder, what kind of weeping are you enduring today? Maybe you're shedding tears in your parenting, in your marriage, in your health, in your aging, in the combinations of frustrations and sufferings and emotions that you feel today. I wonder what kind of weeping you're enduring. Enduring. Friend, the empty tomb teaches us that if you trust Jesus, joy comes in the morning. When we know Jesus, we have good reason to be optimistic because he demonstrates that even the worst case scenario, he has power over and he can turn it around and he will turn it around for you ultimately. It's one of the reasons I'm excited about my next teaching series, starting, Lord willing, next Sunday. I'm going to start a teaching series on the subject of the afterlife. And we're going to study together for several weeks about what does the Bible say happens when I die? Like, we're going to see, like, what, what, five minutes after I die, what will it be like? And where will I be? And how will I know? We're going to look at that. And one of the many reasons I want to teach on it, well, one, I think there's a lot of interest, a lot of fascination in it. I mean, who isn't at least curious about the afterlife? And I encourage you to join us if we do that study. But one of the reasons that I want to teach this series is because for believers, if you're trusting in Jesus, there is so much good in store. There's tremendous hope. And you will see, dear believer, whatever tears you're crying today, that joy really does come in the morning. And the empty tomb shouts that to you. The empty tomb teaches us that joy comes in the morning. The resurrection really happened. Jesus is true to his word. Joy comes in the morning. Fourth, finally, the empty tomb teaches us that there is real victory in Jesus. There's real, genuine, true victory in Jesus. 
We've got a lot of problems in life, don't we? Some of us maybe feel like we have more than others. Got money problems, relationship problems, work problems, parenting problems, and that can go both ways. Parents, children who have parents, parenting problems, friend problems. Here's the thing. Of all the problems we have, you could name them, the single biggest problem we have is death. Death is our great enemy. Currently, right now, statistically, death rate is 100%. You are try to not think too much about it, to downplay it. It happens to others. We gloss, don't we? We say they passed away or they've, they've gone. And we even call it, we even take the edge off or memorialize. Now, it's the pretty common thing. It's called a celebration of I get that. I'm not down on that. I get that. Celebrating a person's life lived. Now, this is just me. Just me. My family knows if and when it happens to me, I don't want to call it a celebration of life. I'm not judging you. You're good. You're good. It's just me. Just me. I don't want to call it a celebration of life because I have a life every year. It's called a birthday. But I, I want, if I'm going to have to die, I want when people to come to know it's a funeral. A funeral comes from the, the Latin word that's everything to do with death. Because I don't want to hide or take the edge off of the reality that death is real. And it is a terrible enemy. And I want that so that the greatness of the victory that I have in Jesus will be heard with a sharper clarity. Don't spend a whole lot of time celebrating the person I was. Proclaim the victory I have in Jesus that one day you will see the great victory I have. Then we can have a celebration of life when there's no grave. That's just me. Okay, so don't, please don't email me about that. I'm not going to read it. <laughs> you call it a celebration of life. You call it whatever you want, but you need to be ready for it, being joined to the one that will give you victory over death. Listen to these verses here. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 17. Paul talking about Jesus and this resurrection. He says, if Christ has not been raised from the dead, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. You just let that land on you. He's like, if, if Easter Sunday didn't happen, we've got nothing. At best, we've got a dead Savior. And what good is a dead Savior? If your lifeguard is dead in their chair, you're going to drown. They ain't coming. No matter what their shirt says, no matter what anybody says about them, if they're dead in their chair and you're going under, it's over. But here's the thing. Our lifeguard isn't dead. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He is alive, so he is able to save. I love this. Let's go to the next verse here. Later on, he says this. Death is swallowed up in victory. I love that phrase. Death, so there's death, our big, bad, scary enemy. It's 100% right now, batting a 1,000, taking people out. But in Jesus, he swallows up death. 
like devours it. My daughter and I were playing a video game last week, and uh, it was one of those Super Mario games, and I, got, I came upon Yoshi all of a sudden, and I'm riding Yoshi around, and I hit a button. We were together. Her character's beside mine. I'm riding a Yoshi, and I hit the... If you don't know what Yoshi is, I can't describe it to you. Anyway, I'm riding Yoshi, and I hit a button, and all of a sudden, he sticks his tongue out and eats her character, just swallows her up. And she yells at me. She's like, hey, hey. I'm like, I'm like, I don't even know how I did that. I'm like, I didn't know how to let you go. And then I hit a couple other buttons. He spat her back out again, right? But like, it's like, it's like there's death and Jesus is the Yoshi. And here it is, whoop, gone. He ain't going to spit it out no more. It's destroyed. It's over. It's defeated. I love how he says this in John 11. Look at this verse. This is, this is one of my favorite verses. I got 190 favorite verses. This is one of them. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. He said this at the cemetery. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, so, so death, death may win the battle, though he die, yet shall he live. Death will not win the war. And everyone who lives and believes in me, you need Jesus, Everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Yes. Friends, the resurrection demonstrates that Jesus is who he says he is. And he, in dying and rising from the dead, paid for sin and conquered the grave. And the gospel message is that anyone who trusts in him shares in his victory victory over sin, and victory over death. You have a tremendously hopeful future, dear Christian. Just trust in him. Now, before I finish, I just want to leave you with a couple of things. Well, first, those of you who today who are sharing in this victory, many of you here are trusting in Jesus, and what I'm talking about are things that you're just being reminded of. You've, you've laid hold of this Jesus by faith. You're trusting in him. And what I'm doing today in preaching to you is encouraging you and reminding you about the reality of our hope. It's not a hope-so hope, it's a no-so hope. And we're being reminded of that today in Jesus. And in just a few minutes, just a couple moments here, the band's gonna come and they're gonna lead us in a worship song. And my exhortation to you is if you're trusting in Jesus, you got, you're sharing in his victory, I want you to sing your face off. Like, sing. There's something about singing that's so important for us because the words we're saying are true, but when you combine it with music and our activity together, we physically, vocally, emotionally are engaging in worship of the Lord. And I want you to do that because he's worthy of it. He has won a big victory for you and for me. And so we want to celebrate that together. But I want to just finally address those of you who are maybe, you're not quite there yet. So glad you're here. And so appreciate your willingness to hear me out. I want to invite you today to a couple of things. Well, three things. One, I want to invite you for the next three weeks at 10.45, the next three Sundays, we're offering a class here called Hope Explored. And Pastor Tim is gonna teach that class. And that class is especially designed for the person who has an interest in these things, maybe wants to better understand what 
the message about Jesus is all about. Maybe they've got some tough questions that they haven't been able to find answers for. It's designed, perhaps, perfectly for you. To give you an opportunity to open up the Bible and understand what is God's message for me in a safe place, like where you can ask the questions and work together, studying God's word, to come to an understanding that you sense that you need. I'd love for you to come there. Maybe, maybe you're here, maybe you're just like, I need that. I've been in this church for a long time. I need exactly that. You come too. I think it'd be a very special time of exploring really the essence of this message we're talking about today. So I want to invite you to come to Hope Explore. Just show up. Just come and be there. There's some cards at the back, the reminder cards. If you want to take that with you, Pastor Tim will give you more instructions in a minute. Second, I want to invite you to come back to church. If you don't have a home church, I want to invite you to come because I really want you to hear what the Bible says about the afterlife. I think that a lot of people, a lot of people, really, really have a sense that not only there is an afterlife, but something ought to be done between here and there to be ready for it. And if you have any sense of that, or even just a curiosity, I want to encourage you, I want to strongly invite you to come as we talk about what the Bible says about what happens when we die. I think it's going to be hugely, you will find it hugely relevant for your life and for your heart. But finally, and most importantly, I want to invite you today to personally trust Jesus. To trust him. You say, well, how, how, do, I, how do I trust him? You see what you've seen today, and you not only believe it to be true, but you personally entrust yourself to him. You look at this risen Jesus, and you see with the eyes of your heart that he has accomplished a great victory. And you come to him by faith and say, Lord, I want your victory too, and I need it. You believe on him. In fact, I just think a great way to express that, to solidify that, to clarify that, is just to talk to him and to tell him. And as I close in prayer right now, if what I'm praying is what you're thinking, you just pray along with me. You can just say, you're like, I don't even know what you're talking about, to pray along with you. Just as I'm talking, you just say quietly where you are, even in your head, God knows everything. So just say, God, what he said. Yes, I agree with that. That is from, that, what he's saying is what I'm saying right now. You just pray along with, there's nothing magical about this prayer, but I want to give you an opportunity right now to personally put your trust in Jesus. So will you pray with me?